allow me to, to just give you a breakdown of where we are with, this past, we, with, with the message that we are doing today. Uh, we have been studying through the book of Matthew, uh, and what I'll do is, before we get to the message for today, what I'll do is I'll just tell you how far we've come so that you understand where we are in the passage of Scripture that we are in. Uh, we started the book of Matthew. We're doing the series, uh, Our King, His Kingdom. Um, and chapter 1, we, we were introduced to Jesus. It was His birth, um, and we start seeing Jesus coming. We see His, uh, his genealogy given out. Uh, we see him introduced as the son of David and the son of Abraham. We see the angel saying that he's here to take away the sins of his people. Uh, and that's what essentially chapter 1 into chapter 2 is mostly about. Then we get to chapter 3. We're now in chapter 3. We're no longer seeing Jesus just as king or as the son of David and as the son of Abraham. But in chapter 3, we see God himself affirming Jesus and saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. G- God himself confirms Jesus as God son at his baptism, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And then we see him going out to the desert. Uh, He takes time out to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And then we see the devil coming to tempt him. And Jesus uses scripture to defeat the devil. And we see him defeating the devil using God's word in in Matthew chapter 4 from verse 1 to verse 11. And then we get to this idea of taking a U-turn. As Pastor Ray was preaching, if you remember, the, the idea of a U-E, as in taking a U-turn and repentance is, is turning away from the way you used to live because Jesus now is, is starting to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, and telling people to repent and telling us to repent as well. And then we start seeing him calling people to follow him, to be his students, to be his followers to be his disciples, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. And then he has both clearly demonstrated and proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, that this new kingdom is coming, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And let me pause there for a second and and ask you a personal question. And I want you to think about it. It's not a hard question. It's a really easy one. I want you to think back to, to the moment you were told you're moving to Dubai. I want you to think back to the moment when your wife or your husband or your parent came and told you, we are moving, this new job I have, we're moving to Dubai. Think back to that moment or the moment you decided you were moving to that country. You must have had questions. You must have had questions on uh, what is it like in that country? What's the currency? How is the security? What are the new rules of this new kingdom I'm going to? Do they drive the same as we do back home? Will I be able to drive there? See, all these questions that you may have had as you were moving to Dubai, you have to understand that that's exactly the same questions the disciples, the scribes, and the Pharisees had as they were listening to Jesus telling them about a new kingdom. They had a lot of questions. So, so they, were, they were asking and wondering and pondering, asking themselves, what is God's kingdom really like? What does it mean for all we have been taught? What does it mean for all the old religious leaders and all the relig- old religious texts? Uh, think about it. Imagine that from when you were a child, you were taught one thing. You've grown up being taught the same thing that your parents were taught, that their parents were taught, that their grandparents were taught. Remember in Deuteronomy, they were told, these laws I give you today, tie them, bind them to your heart. 
Teach them to your children. Speak of them when you eat, when you sleep, when you walk. Talk to them. Teach them to your children and teach them to teach their children. And so for generations, you've been taught the same things over and over and over again. And then someone comes into the picture and says, let me tell you something new. There were questions that they must have had. And then we get to the sermon in the mountain, on the mountain. And Jesus starts painting this picture of God's kingdom. And even with the sermon on the mountain, he completely flips the order of things. You see, when Moses gave them, gave them rules, he told them, these are the laws. If you obey these laws, you will be blessed. Jesus starts the sermon on the mount with blessed are they. He starts with the blessing before he gives them the rules. He even flips how the blessing happens. He says, you are already blessed. But then he actually says, this is what it means to be really, really blessed in the kingdom of God. And then he, he gives this breakthrough difference. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a hard statement. And today you will see how Jesus is moving them from the idea of righteousness trying to be righteous. He's moving them from that idea of trying, striving to be righteous to, to the idea of, of training to be righteous. He's moving them from, from legalism to actually inside-out transformation. And as we go through this sermon today, you will see that Jesus wants to transform us from the inside-out. Let us pray and get into the passage of Scripture. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to open your word today. Lord, I pray that as we open our hearts to you, that, Lord, you will, you will minister to us greatly. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts as well, Lord, that not only will we hear, but also we will be careful to obey what we learn today. Lord, I pray for myself as well, that you'd give me the courage to step out of the way and allow you to minister to your people through your spirit for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. This is what the Word of God says in Matthew chapter 5, from verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." Today, as we go through this passage, we will look at three words that Jesus uses in this passage, and we will use those three words to build through this sermon. And the first word I want us to zero in on is the word fulfill, because that's the first thing Jesus says to them in verse 17. He says he's not here to abolish, but to accomplish. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. See, some of the questions that the religious leaders must have had, some of the questions that the disciples may have had, was this, did Jesus really believe in the Old Testament scriptures? And if so, 
How much of it did he really believe? See, the religious leaders, even the disciples, they must have been asking this question over and over again as they listened to Jesus' teaching. This is a question that they're struggling with, they're grappling with. You see, they had listened to his teaching and saw that he differed radically with what the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching up until this point. It was like watching water flow upwards on a hill. It's, it's an assault to the senses. You, you don't know how to feel when you see it. It's, it, it questions all your belief systems. Uh, there's, there's this hill in Kenya, this place in Kenya where gravity works backwards. Uh, it's, uh, on this particular hill, if, if you go and you park your car and you don't put the handbrake on and you get out of the car, it, it, it goes upwards. It doesn't go down, down, downhill. And if you pour water on the hill, instead of it flowing downhill, it flows uphill. And as you're listening to me say this, you're, you're like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I, no, no. That, it goes like what you're saying does not make sense. I know about gravity. I know science. What you're saying, Barak, does not make sense. And for some of you, you're thinking, eh, that's what happens in Africa. <laughs> Those weird things in Africa, that's what you <laughs> That's it. That's it. Eh? <laughs> the point, though, is this. Whether you believe me or not, I'm telling you it's true and it happens. And the point is, when you go to this place, there's a sense of confusion as you watch things work backwards. There's a sense of, this is not how things are supposed to work. This is not how things are supposed to be. That is exactly how the religious leaders and the followers feel as they listen to Jesus. See, the demands that Jesus makes upon attitude, upon thought, upon behavior, extended so far beyond what was normally practiced that, that, that even what they were hearing felt confusing to them. It felt like this is not how things are supposed to be. And so they keep asking themselves, does Jesus really believe what the Old Testament teaches? So that might be the very question you have today. The question you might be having, or you may have tweaked the question a little. The question may be, is it even necessary for us to believe all of what the Bible teaches? If he already fulfilled it, why should we believe it? Or you could be asking, is the Bible alone God's word, or are there other holy books and writings that show us God's will and a way to God? See, that second question is really easy for us, because Jesus answered that question himself. He actually says, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through me. He says, whatever you have heard people saying, oh, there are other books, oh, it's the same religion, all these things, we all pray to the same God. He says, no, I am the way to, the, to God, no other way. And so he answers that definitively for us. The, second, the first question, though, it's, 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 it's that confusion that I want us to look at. You see, Jesus actually knows what they're thinking and knows their confusion. And so he starts, first of all, answering to their confusion. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And then he also clarifies what his purpose is. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In essence, Jesus is saying to them that he is the fulfillment of the laws and the prophets. Jesus, in verse 17, says to them that he is the lens through which we interpret God's word. Without him, the rest of it doesn't make sense. 
He says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. He actually is saying to them that he's starting a new discussion on the law and he wanted them and he wanted to make it clear to them that he does not oppose what God gave Israel in what we now call the Old Testament. He says he did not come to destroy the word of God. However, he came to free it from the way the Pharisees and the scribes had wrongly interpreted it up until this point. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. Jesus wanted to make it clear that he had authority apart from the law of Moses, but he did not contradict it. And so for those who thought that he was adding to the law, the only thing Jesus added to the law was his perfect obedience of it. Jesus added nothing to the law except one thing that no man before him, no man in his time, and no man since has been able to do. His perfect obedience of every single law that was there. And they were confused because Jesus challenged how they interpreted the law. For example, they they started questioning, what are your thoughts on the Sabbath? And Jesus essentially saying to them, the Sabbath was made for you. You are not made for the Sabbath. And so he's changing how they're interpreting the law. He's saying to them, I fulfill all the laws and the prophets. And this is how he does it. One, he says he fulfills the doctrine and the teachings of the law and the prophets in that he brought full revelation. See, back in the day before we had pictures on our phones, we used to have these things called film cameras and you'd buy films and then you'd load them in and take a picture and then you would take that thing and take it to a shop somewhere and they would remove it, develop it, and then after a few weeks they would call you and say, hey, your pictures are ready. And then you'd go, take your picture and look at it and go like, wow. Uh, (laughs) And then you'd have a negative. And Jesus is essentially saying to them, "The, the laws are the negative. I am the full developed picture. Look at me because I reveal what you cannot see in the laws fully. He says to them, Jesus fulfilled the laws and and what the laws promised and what they prophesied because Jesus is a promised one showing the reality behind the shadows. So the prophecies are not so clear. You cannot see clearly. But then when Jesus comes and you put them together, you're like, oh, wow, that actually makes sense. Then Jesus fulfilled the moral and legal demands of the law and the prophets because he fully obeyed them and he interpreted them in their truth. And the last one, my favorite, Jesus fulfilled the penalty of the law and the prophets for us by his death on the cross, taking the penalty we deserved. Because essentially he's saying, if you try to fulfill the law, if you try to pay, you cannot. I will take your place and I will fulfill it for you. What the scribes and the Pharisees held dear to are the laws and the prophets. Jesus was saying to them, I am the completion of them. I don't know whether you've ever watched a child saving money. See, they, they like collecting coins, children do. And, and, and they gather them and they're excited about them and, and they're weighty and, and they're, they're bulky and they're clunky. And, and if, you, if you walked up to a child and you say to the child, that, that looks like 500. So here is 500. It might be even less than 500, but here's 500. Give me the coins, I'll give you this. Do you think the child will say yes? See, what Jesus is doing is he's telling the Pharisees, all the laws, they're clunky, they're bulky, they're weighty, they're too much. 
but I fulfill them completely and I'm even worth more. Give me, take me instead. And the Pharisees are saying, no, no, no. I want my coins. I want my, my laws. I want them. Jesus is saying to them, gather all the laws and the prophecies like coins from your saving. Gather them all. I am their value. I exceed their value. Take me instead and they do not want to do it. The laws and the prophets, they are a shadow, a typical representation of good things to come. And Jesus is saying, I am the good things to come. I am it. They point to me. I have what it takes to make it perfect. My own sacrifice. See, the law and the prophets, they could neither satisfy God nor sanctify men. And Jesus did exactly that. On the cross. And so we've talked about how he fulfilled the law. So the next word that comes up is abolish. Verse 18 and 19. So should we abolish the law? For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, the question the Pharisees and the scribes were asking, they were valid questions. Who are you, essentially, and what have you come to do? That's what they're thinking of Jesus. That's what they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out about Jesus. So you could be asking the same thing. So, so now that Jesus essentially has fulfilled the law and the prophets, does it mean that we should ignore the Old Testament? See, Jesus answers and clarifies those thoughts that the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees had. And, and also, he's answering the same question we may, have, we may be having right now. Jesus says that he's a fulfillment of the law, and he is not abolishing the law or the prophets. But he also cautions those listening to him. He cautions them from not holding on to the word in the law and the prophets. So he starts this portion of scripture with, with, a, with an interesting way of, of actually discussing it. He, he actually says, truly I say to you. It's like starting a sentence with amen. It's like starting the sentence with the end. It's like him actually saying, it's, it's the same way the prophets used to say, thus saith the Lord. However, Jesus is the Lord himself speaking, so he starts with actually giving the guarantee. I am the one speaking. So he starts with saying amen. It is so already, but he says, so it starts with this guarantee, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all of it is accomplished. So what is an iota and a dot? What is a jot and a tittle? You may have heard them as that. The jot and the tittle were small marks in the Hebrew writing. Jesus is saying that not only are the ideas of the word of God are important, he was also saying that the words themselves, those words, even the letters of the words, they are important. He, he's trying to show us how highly God regards his own word. And he says that all of it, all of it shall come to pass. Jesus here gives us the assurance that God keeps his word. It is the assurance that God's plan will never be set aside until all things are fulfilled at the end of the age. And it's this. And if he if he kept his word about the cross, it means he will keep his word concerning our forgiveness. 
And if he kept his word regarding the resurrection, it means that he has kept his word and will keep his word about our redemption. So we do not abolish the Old Testament because it is already accomplished in Jesus. Instead, we look to the Old Testament because they reveal to us the heart of God and point us to the redemption of God. So not only are we to, to, not to abolish it, we are encouraged to observe it and to keep it. Wait a minute. That is confusing. See, the whole idea of this message is that Jesus transforms us from the inside out. Jesus came preaching that salvation came to us not because of our obedience or our works, but because of his obedience in our place. Salvation is not found in our righteous works, but rather in our relationship to him. Salvation is by grace, not by our works. You see, if, if keeping the law wasn't how a person is saved, then was it necessary to keep them any longer? And that question was made even more pressing still when Jesus said such critical things about the scribes and the Pharisees and their obedience to the law. And, and the question you may be having is, are Christ followers still obliged to obey the laws and the commandments of Moses? And this is where we see how Jesus wants to transform us from the inside out. See, the Pharisees, the Pharisees themselves, they were working from the outside in, obeying the laws and acting all righteous, dressing the way they should have, and doing all the things that the law said that should be done. And, and Jesus is, is actually saying to them at some point, he looks at them and he says, you, you are whitewashed tombs. You look clean on the outside, but you're dirty, you're dead inside. And he's saying to them, that's not how you gain righteousness. I am the way you gain righteousness. But however, Jesus is not saying, let us abolish them completely and let us throw them out. Jesus is actually saying, let us teach them. He says this in verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The commandments that we teach are to be obeyed and explained as fulfilled by Jesus' life and teaching, not in a legalistic way of us thinking that this is what makes us righteous and makes us holy. So, for example, when we look to the Old Testament and we see all the teachings on the sacrifices, when we teach them, we actually teach them and say, actually, all this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So you're not going to be considered least when you don't teach others to make sacrifices. Why? Jesus is a complete sacrifice. There is no more need for us to make sacrifices, your pets are safe. Whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The Christian is done with the law as a means of gaining righteousness standing, righteous standing before God. Therefore, we teach the law because the law sends us to Jesus to be justified because it shows us our inability to please God ourselves. But after we come to Jesus, he sends us back to the law so that we can learn the heart of God for our conduct and our sanctification. It brings us back to a talk we had a few weeks ago when Pastor Ray was teaching about repentance. He told us about the concept of a big R repentance and a small R repentance. Big R repentance happens when you go to the cross of Jesus Christ and you submit to him and you say, I'm, I'm giving my life back to you and all that. And, and that is that repentance that we have once. The moment you go to the cross once, your sins are forgiven, you are washed clean, you are, it's done, it's finished for you, you're done. But then there is this small R repentance that we do 
do every single day as we continue to walk with Jesus. This repentance and continued dependence on Jesus, it brings us back to the concept of trying to be perfect or training to be perfect. When you try to be perfect, you will notice consistently that you will fail every single day. We could try on our own and we could fail and we could see how impossible it is for us to fulfill the law in all its entirety. However, we could train every day to walk with Jesus every single day and we could actually see how through Jesus he fulfills it all for us. The best explanation I've ever heard about the law is this. If you went to your bathroom and you stood on a scale and you got on it to show you a number. That number is your weight. You see how much you weigh. See, the scale tells you how much you weigh, but it doesn't tell you what you need to do to lose weight. <laughs> it's the same thing with the law. When you stand on the law, just shows you how wrong you are. Doesn't tell you what you need to do to get better. Just shows you your wrongness, your sin, your mistakes. However, when we stand on Jesus, we see how he has fulfilled the law. We see how he has completely fulfilled it for us. We see how he has done it for us and there is nothing we need to add to that. And we see our dependence on him. And, and so even though we see that Jesus says, okay, now let me call you to a higher standard. And this is the higher standard he calls them to, the idea of exceeding. So we've talked about how Jesus fulfills it. Then we, we ask the question, should we then abolish it? Jesus says, no, 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 don't abolish it. Actually, I want you to exceed. And this is what he says to them in verse 20. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to take a moment and think of, of these three sports, basketball, tennis, and cricket. Imagine you've never played any of those sports, never in your life, never. And today you pick up a basketball, and the person training you and coaching you tells you, for you even to be considered good at this, you have to be better than LeBron James. Or, or repeat. <laughs> no, no, Michael Jordan, no. Okay, or you pick a racket. <laughs> or you pick a racket. And someone says, for you even to be considered any good, you have to be better than Serena Williams. Or you have to be better than Sachin Tendulkar. See, there's a sense, if you know these people, you know how impossible it is for you even to consider to be in the same stratosphere with them in their sport. The reason I tell you that is because as, as the disciples are listening to Jesus, Jesus says to them, you have to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. He's essentially saying to them, these guys are the all-stars. They are the best at obeying the law. And you have to exceed them. And the, the disciples must have been thinking, that's impossible. Let, let me tell you how impossible it is. You see, the Pharisees had taken the Ten Commandments and then added to them 602, saying, now there's 613 laws we have to obey. And then not only that, 
And looking at the 613, some looked too complicated. So they started clarifying them and trying to make them easier. So not only were there 10 plus 602, there were also thousands that they added to infinity. So you never knew what law you were breaking at what time. There were 365 that you had to obey at a certain time. And others, that, there were so many laws. And Jesus is saying to them, you have to exceed these people. It is actually foolish to even try. Those are not my words. Those are the words of, of Paul. Paul reminding the Galatians how foolish it is, foolish it is to even attempt, attempt righteousness outside of Jesus. Writes to them and he says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You saw Jesus fulfill the law. You saw Jesus accomplish the law. How foolish to go back to the law to achieve righteousness. Earlier, he says to them, it breaks my heart that I'm hearing that you're going to a new gospel, which is not even a gospel. How can you go back to the law? He says to them in chapter 2, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And then my favorite verse in all of Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. For if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. However, the law stands as a perfect expression of God's ethical character and all his requirements. And so he's saying to us, essentially, when you look to the law, you see how you should live. When you look to Jesus, shows us how he has already done it all for us. And this is what transformation from the inside out looks like. Transformation looks like a heart that has a deep and profound respect for the law of God. Transformation looks like us loving God just as much as our Savior, Jesus Christ, loved the law of God and seeking to honor it as much as Jesus Christ honored it. Transformation from the inside out looks like us submitting to Jesus through his Holy Spirit to fulfill and keep it. And we are enabled by the indwelling of Jesus Christ in our lives to help us from the heart. Maybe you come from a faith background that had many rules. And you are told, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to dress. This is what you can eat, and this is what you cannot eat. And this is how you achieve righteousness. Maybe that's where you still are. And maybe you're still living your life in fear because you don't know whether your actions have been enough. You don't know whether the good you have done has outweighed all the bad you have ever done in your past. You don't know whether you can ever balance the scales. See, that's the difference with Jesus. With Jesus, he, he does it for us. And he guarantees that it is done. We don't have to worry about whether we have done enough. Because truth be told, 
our good will never be good enough. Maybe for you though, you came here and you, you are a Christian from birth even. From the moment you were born, you were brought to church and you've grown up here and you can't even remember the day you gave your life to the Lord. And without realizing you have, over time, created your own set of rules. Your 613 plus 1,000 new rules. That even without knowing, you have started telling people, this, this is how Christians behave. This is, this is how Christians dress. Oh, this is how Christians should be. And without realizing it, you're actually putting a hindrance to people coming to the Lord. Jesus himself just says, come as you are. Come to me as you are. It's not about how you behave. It's not about how you achieve righteousness. Come in your brokenness. Come in your shame. Come in your shamefulness. Come in, in everything you have done. Come in your wrongness. Come in your guilt. Come just as you are. And let me love you as you are. And let me walk with you over beyond where you are to where I want you to be. Jesus desires to transform us not by what we do, but by what he does through us. And so if you come from a faith background that tells you you have to do for yourself, stop it and come to Jesus. Let him do it for you. And if you think as a follower of Jesus you have to give people rules for them to become more holy, stop it. And let Jesus do it for them. He's the one who does it. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that we could never achieve it on our own. You remind us in Ephesians that salvation comes through grace, not by works, so that none of us could ever boast. There is nothing we could ever do in our right, own righteousness and works that could impress you. Nothing that could cleanse us. Nothing that could satisfy your wrath. But Jesus does on the cross. And Jesus calls us to walk in him because he has already done it for us. So Lord, I want to pray for anyone here today who has a hard time accepting your grace. Has a hard time understanding that you've already done it for us. Lord, I pray that you will renew in our hearts that, that surrender to you, that knowledge that you are the one who accomplished it. For your glory and our joy, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.